0: Called the story of Bonnie and Clyde. You've heard the story of Jesse James, of how he lived and died. If you're still in need of something to read, here's the story of Bonnie and Clyde.
1: You think if I sent that into newspapers, that print it printed? I won't do it.
0: Now, Bonnie and Clyde are the Barrow Gang. I'm sure you all have read. Now, they rob and steal, and those who squeal are usually found dying or dead. They call them cold-hearted killers. They say they are heartless and mean. But I say this with pride, that I once knew Clyde when he was honest and upright and clean. But the law fooled around, kept taking him down, and locking him up in a cell, till he said to me, I'll never be free, so I'll meet a few of them in hell if a policeman is killed in Dallas and they have no clue to guide. If they can't find a fiend, they just wipe their slate clean and hang it on Bonnie and Clyde. If they try to act like citizens and rent them a nice little flat, about the third night, they're invited to fight by a sub rat rat-a-tat-tat. Someday, they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief. To the law, a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde.
1: You know what you done there? You told my story. You told my whole story right there, right there. One time I told you I was going to make you somebody, that's what you done for me. You made me somebody they're going to remember. God, if your life had a face,
0: I would punch it. Yeah.
1: Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
2: Goody! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 217, Bonnie and Clyde. This was an abrupt beginning. (laughs) Just
3: launch right into it. After what's been an anxious day spending 40 minutes trying to find
2: one Blu-ray. Yeah, there was... Almost a meltdown. Some would say a full-blown <laughs> meltdown.
3: As I look around and there's just piles of Blu-rays knocked over on the floor.
2: Well, when you can't find one movie, it's like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, sometimes. I will
3: say I've had so many moments in my life where I know I own something and can't find it. Nothing is more frustrating.
2: Yeah. Right now I'm looking around and I'm like, well, where did I even put it? It's almost like its
3: own. That. Like I almost have like a fear of it. Like People that are like claustrophobic or have a fear of heights, like... <laughs>
2: If I can't
3: find something that I'm looking for, I feel like my heart's going to explode.
2: Well, we're in it now. We're ready to go. We're back to the regular schedule, taking a break from the listener requests. This is a movie that has been on the schedule for a while and keeps getting pushed back. Oh, yeah. Now we're finally doing it. Of course, it's a classic. If something makes the list, we'll get to it eventually. It just Absolutely. It's almost like bingo. We have like balls.
3: a handshake agreement that if anything was ever on the list.
2: Oh, then we'll be doing this podcast till we're well yeah. into our 50s. <laughs> we're, of course, talking about the 1967 version, not any of the more recent things. I think they did a TV movie oh, or a miniseries. I don't know. With Emile Hirsch, maybe. Wow. Imagine
3: being Warren Beatty and you're like, this is the guy that's playing me now.
2: Uh, I want to say it was on like AMC or something. I don't know.
3: That seems familiar. Who knows? The first time I ever watched Bonnie and Clyde was for film class that I took in college. Mm. Netflix disc. Pretty cool. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually a, a good point. It is, this is on Netflix as of us recording this, so if you haven't seen Bonnie and Clyde and would like to check it out, I'm sure most people have Netflix streaming. You it's can watch it. It's
3: also on HBO Max.
2: All right. One of those situations. Double dip. Yep. Before we discuss... One of the more significant films of all time. Yes, I'm saying it. Influential. Definitely. Huge impact. Before we do it, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at greatest Pod, Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And please, if you enjoy the show, give us a rating and review as well. Yeah, we could use some more activity there. <laughs> we love reading the positive reviews, so if you do listen to the show, feel free to just Say a few kind words on Apple Podcasts. We love reading it, and if you want a sticker, let us know on Twitter. That's right. That name again at Greatest Pod. Pretty easy to remember.
3: And don't be nervous to just put your review out there. I feel like there's people that have been sitting. They just they don't know the right words for it. You can just say great.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's a positive review. Yeah, yeah. What else? Letterboxd. That's Zach right. Jack 1983. Matt Crosby.
3: Yeah, I feel like, you know, there's got to be opportunities there
2: for other people who enjoy movies. Yeah, get on Letterboxd, follow us, we'll follow you back, we'll talk about movies. Well, we won't really talk about them, but we'll look at your ratings and reviews of different movies. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's mostly just like me, you, and Keith. It's pretty much the least toxic social media app out there. I think so. Not a whole lot of drama.
3: They remove most of the channels for
2: drama <laughs> yeah that's true so let's get into it Bonnie and Clyde directed by Arthur Penn written by David Newman and Robert Benton I think there were some uncredited additions to the script to Ooh. Robert town and Warren Beatty himself
3: oh wow he did he had to touch it up
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the budget was 2.5 million the box office ended up being 70 million it was a big hit it was also sort of a era-defining film, and we're going to get into that in a moment. Helped kick off the new Hollywood era.
3: Oh, yeah. Violence, sexy. A lot of things, really. Okay.
2: Starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Dunaway, just a style icon from this movie. I would say all-around icon for me. <laughs> just sex on a stick, Absolutely really. Absolutely <laughs> s- <Lord>. stunning. <laughs> and not only is she pleasant to look at in the film it's also a legendary performance that i feel like influenced oh, yeah. so many other actresses because when i was re-watching it for the podcast i was like what is this voice and performance she's doing who is it reminding me of and honestly Kathleen turner i think it influenced meryl streep i think there are some movies where meryl streep is doing this
3: yeah performance i, I, I will say i mean she has this bold almost intimidating presence
2: yeah, it's just an unbelievable performance. Beatty produced the film as well. Warner Brothers famously had no faith in it and gave him 40% of the gross rather than a nominal fee, and he ended up becoming pretty rich wow, because yeah, of this. Wow, that's a good deal. Also appearing, Michael J. Pollard, Gene Hackman in an early role. That's right. And Estelle Parsons. And Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder in his first film role. Yeah. In a small part. So, Bonnie and Clyde... Based on a true story, we'll talk about that in a minute, probably most known now as having an immeasurable impact and influence on the movies. It helped kick off New Hollywood, as I said. Just on this show, we've done Badlands, True Romance, and Wild at Heart, all of which sort of owe a little bit to Bonnie and Clyde. For sure. Badlands was based off of Charles Starkweather, who was also a real story, but... The idea is very much the same.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It feels like the idea of either spouses or boyfriend or girlfriend out on the road committing crimes, I mean, had to inspire countless stories.
2: More recently, Queen and Slim, also back in the 90s, Natural Born Killers. Sort of a tried and true formula.
3: What about Tim Roth and the girl from Pulp Fiction going around robbing diners? Sure.
2: Bonnie and Clyde broke cinematic taboos, a revolutionary presentation of sex and violence. Previously, shootings in movies were bloodless and relatively painless. Not the case in this movie.
3: Yeah, it's it's weird now because obviously this movie is so old, but you do hear about how the end of this movie really impacted people. Like the violence was yes. more than they could take at the time.
2: Yes, it was very much unlike anything that had come before it and due to the changing times which we've talked about in several episodes of this show but are exemplified in once upon a time in hollywood or even inherent vice or something just that late 60s turning into the 70s everything's changing the music's changing the culture's changing sexual mores people's feelings about religion, culture, family structure, everything. Everything's changing. Yeah. The f- movies were finally catching up. And this film in particular did become a rallying cry of the counterculture. It ushered in the new Hollywood era. And I would say American film was finally trying to approach the coolness factor of France and Italy, which by this oh, yeah. point in 1967 were considered so much cooler and so much more ahead of where America was. And now, I bring up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nothing more indicative of that than the movie that Sharon Tate goes to watch herself in in that movie, which is just a typical square Hollywood bland comedy. They were very much all about like generic westerns, sex comedies, but throwing the word sex is giving it the idea that it's more racy than it is. It was just like as tame as imaginable, yeah. musicals, stuff like that. And the new Hollywood era, thanks to a couple of films, Bonnie and Clyde being one of them, just totally changed everything and pushed the boundaries, in which led to an era where the film director, rather than the studio, That's right. took on a key authorial role.
3: <laughs> a wave that we would ride all the way up until Heaven's Gate.
2: Heaven's Gate and One from the Heart. Yeah. The Coppola movie. Oh, that's right. Which made less than a million dollars and cost like $40 million to make. So yeah, some notable new Hollywood era films. And it it started in like the mid-60s. Bonnie and Clyde was not necessarily considered the first, but it was like the one that pushed it to the next level, took it mainstream, made it popular. But that year at the Oscars, there were several huge nominees, including the film that won Best Picture in the heat of the night that were all part of it. that's right. Bonnie and Clyde, In the Heat of the Night, The Graduate, Wow, Cool Hand Luke, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Rosemary's Baby, yeah. Night of the Living Dead, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy. These are not all the same. Oh, yet. okay. I thought these were all 68. <laughs> these are just like, some what? notable ones from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. This goes through the 70s, The Wild Bunch, Butch casting The Sundance Kid, Five Easy Pieces, That's which right. I wrote down because we did it on the show recently, Clute, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which we also did on the show, and also stars Warren Beatty. The Last Picture Show, Badlands, and then, as you mentioned, things started to wrap up around the time of Heaven's Gate (laughs) and One from the Heart. Two notable bombs that changed the whole deal and the studios became much more conservative again, not wanting to let let the artists out of control, spending money. That's when they started giving a
3: lot more notes.
2: Yeah, and the 80s, in a lot of ways, suck. There is a lot of great stuff in the 80s, too, but it's much more big budget, mainstream definitely cool stuff. You have James Cameron, Tim Burton, different people, Cronenberg, whoever doing like weird sci fi stuff, horror stuff is cool. But this idea of an artist having free reign to spend money, go out somewhere in the country. Bonnie and Clyde filmed in Texas, Heaven's Gate, I think filmed in like idaho and montana or oh somewhere. yeah you know just going somewhere for months at a time and spending all this money that just like wasn't gonna happen anymore but i think that for film buffs who appreciate older films i, I do think the the new hollywood era is considered probably the most creative the golden age and, and possibly the best well the golden age i think refers to a specifically different age maybe but uh, you know what i mean my just, golden age yeah just i think that people do consider it sort of the peak of yeah yeah american filmmaking in a lot of ways there was a little bit of an indie revival in the 90s but now american cinema has hit like maybe something even worse than the 80s i I know well when
3: you were going down this path it's like boy doesn't this just feel like now like what (laughs) you were talking about like what this all led to or, or the time either the time that preceded it or the time that followed it
2: yeah but bonnie and clyde was right there at the beginning and although the film doesn't really have what you would consider any explicit sex and I would say there's very minimal brief nudity, if that even. Yeah, it's hard to even call it that. The uh, violence is enough of a game changer by itself and sort of like the frank portrayal of some of the sexual elements of the film, which in 2021, it does feel like they're dancing around it. But at the sure. time, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit controversial, although... Not as controversial as they wanted it to be, originally. They were considering something a little bit different for Clyde's character. Because, as we're going to get to in a minute, a lot of this is made up. Right, right. (laughs) This is not really very true to the real story of Bonnie and Clyde. It's very different in a lot of ways. Some of the stuff is real, but... Some of it feels like, when you mention
3: Badlands, it does kind of feel like that, where some of it feels almost like a fairy tale.
2: Yeah, I think they glamorized it a lot. I don't think Bonnie or Clyde were as attractive as <laughs> Faye Dunaway <laughs> well, and Warren Beatty. There are very, Beatty. F- very
3: few people that can pull that off. The movie opens up basically with Faye Dunaway being nude, even though you're not seeing anything. Yeah. I mean, it was doing something for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a real attention grabber. Really? The film would go on to earn 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. It only won two, one for Estelle Parsons as Best Supporting Actress and it also won Best Cinematography for Burnett Guffey. In the Heat of the Night won Best Picture. It was also nominated with Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Dr. Doolittle is a notorious bomb of the time and lost a ton of money and I think it's sort of indicative of the changing of the times. Dr. Doolittle is much more a pre-New Hollywood era movie. The other four are pushing different boundaries, whether it's violence or sex in the graduate or racial stuff with guests just coming to dinner or in the heat of the night and it was clear that finally american filmmaking was changing with the times and getting with it as mentioned the historical accuracy of bonnie and clyde is you know not very stringent <laughs> it's a little all over the place but I think when I was reading about it, I, I don't really want to waste too much time on like the specifics of what's different from the real story. I really have the
3: movie. no idea. I, I've done no research on what the real story is, but I was
2: imagining that it's certainly not as exciting. No, I mean, I think it was as exciting. <laughs> they killed a lot of people and went all over the place okay. doing it. Yeah, but yeah. The whole thing with them kidnapping Frank Hammer, yeah, the Texas Ranger. And embarrassing him, and then him coming... That is all like made up. And I, his, I wish that was real. His widow and surviving family like sued and won some... Oh, I'm because he them, really was money.
3: a real person, but... Yeah, yeah. He was oh, a wow. Texas
2: Ranger. He had never met them or even seen them before he killed them, though. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, they added stuff like that in. And I love
3: that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when they flip the table on him.
2: Yeah, and... The gang, the Barrow gang, changed members a lot. People came in and out, got yeah. killed whatever. There was no specific person I don't think named c w. Moss. I think he's an amalgam of a bunch of yeah i th- people. i I think I did read that part that he's made up of a couple dudes now Buck, his older brother and his wife, they were a part of it, and that is true, but there were other people in and out. It was like sort of a an ever changing gang of people. But my whole point was, it never really bothers me when something's not historically accurate, if it makes the presentation in the film better. We un- a- Absolutely. I always understand that based on a true story means that we're just kind of sort of taking that true story and then <laughs> yeah. adapting it into a movie I- that we're inventing.
3: I usually take that to mean mostly not true.
2: Yeah, well, for some reason it becomes this this big thing with some people because anytime anything is based on a true story nowadays, it it's yeah. an endless cycle of articles where people are pointing stuff out as if it's some controversy or something that something's different. It just happened with Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, people are still doing this. And do. It's like <laughs> who cares? I do always rem- remember like uh, my
3: favorite instance of this was uh, The Strangers when that came out. <laughs> that oh, was like God. based on a true story, and then like you read what the true story was and. It was just that the director or whatever, or the writer, I don't know, when he was a a kid, there were people in his neighborhood breaking into cars or something. (laughs) And they may have knocked on a couple people's doors. Well, they always do. Like Fargo,
2: which we did on the show, was made up.
3: Nothing at all, yeah.
2: The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was just a bunch of different stuff right, right, all collected together. Nothing even remotely like that, though. And so people have been using that gimmick for years. Now, when it's a, an actual like known story, like a biopic or something like this, which is sort of like a historical biopic, obviously the general public's going to know a little bit more than some random thing that sure. the strangers is based on. So the the stakes are a little bit different, but look, the yeah. movies don't exist to teach you history. That's if right. you want to know history, you can Read a book, and now because of Wikipedia, you can just learn it in two minutes anyway. Tarantino
3: would do a Bonnie and Clyde movie now, and they live,
2: you know. <laughs> I was actually <laughs> thinking, the that. Cops. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I did the rewatch for this, I was thinking about an alternate ending now with some crazy change or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're not going to dwell on that. No needless to say, the historical accuracy is questionable at best. The critics' reception was also terrible to begin with because people were prudes, sort of like how they are now, where everyone was up in arms about the violence. People were basically going out of their way to trash the movie if they could, sort of relegating it to being some cheap piece of pulp, not worth anyone's time. Then, of course, the public got to see it and it becomes this huge deal. Cheap piece of pulp is like the only thing that's worth my time. (laughs) Yeah, and this is actually a good example of how people become famous critics, because the people defending it were your Roger Eberts, Pauline Kael. They become these huge icons in the world of film criticism. It's like, I wonder why. It's because they're on the right side of something that's big and monumental and changing. And those are the people you remember and recognize their names. The people trashing it, even though they were writing for big publications, it's not like people are buying books of their collected works. Like, no one cares. No. Because clearly, they were okay with movies like that Dean Martin movie that Sharon Tate goes to watch herself <laughs> yeah, in.
3: If, yeah, if you missed the boat on Bonnie and Clyde as a <laughs> journalist, you know, you probably ended up working at, like, the Shaler Times or something. You, <laughs> you lost
2: your gig for Variety. On the other hand, some of the criticism, although I don't agree with it, wasn't necessarily wrong in the sense that You could say that this opened the floodgates for extreme violence that you know may have had an impact on society over the next 50 to 60 years.
3: Sure, sure. I mean, look, we were heading into dark times in the 70s.
2: But I'm on the side of I consider film to be art, and I think art should be reflective of society. And I think hiding things that are very much a part of society, it diminishes art. Yeah. If you can't express sex violence crime the way people talk in a way that feels real then you're you're sort of limiting what art can be you're taking away tools that should be in your toolbox not every movie has to be ultra violent no. not every movie you have to have people saying like fuck a million times or whatever but you should be able to do that because that is a part of the world and that is part of what art is reflecting and so Yes, it did open a floodgate of violence, and not everything violent was worthwhile, and not everything violent had artistic merit. But that's not necessarily for you or me or whoever to decide what has sure. artistic merit. It's just, you know, it's up to parents to stop their kids from watching stuff. <laughs> We're right. going down that road. But you know what I mean? Nurture your kids. Whatever people want to see will endure and what people don't want to see won't so i think it should be up to the public to decide what's okay to watch or not okay yeah now what's too violent or not violent this enough would have been whatever. what
3: three or four years before the the godfather um i think that was 72 right so it would have been five yeah okay five years this was 67 yeah okay when i was young and the end of this movie kind of is similar to the Sonny corleone and the the toll booth <laughs> yes. But holy shit, did that scene freak me out when I was a fairly young kid when I saw The Godfather for the first time. But I don't know. I, I guess that that's kind of a little foreshadowing of like where the violence was heading for movies.
2: Yeah, it's like Angels with Filthy Souls. That's right. From Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another good movie. So what's your familiarity level with the director, Arthur Penn? We've talked a lot about the movie itself, and a little bit about Beatty, who had a huge influence on the movie. Sure, yeah. Arthur Uh, Penn. I I don't know Arthur Penn.
3: I I know this movie. Maybe you can tell me that I've seen some of his other works.
2: Well, you just ordered one on Blu-ray. Oh, good. Which one? Night Moves. Oh, shit.
3: Okay, teaming up with
2: Hackman again. (laughs) Yeah. I love the movie Night Moves. In fact, that might be a little foreshadowing for recommendations um, later.
3: On my list. By the way, I'm sure if... uh, Lindsay's listening to this episode before my order arrives. She's not going to be thrilled to find out that like more Blu-rays are on their way. but uh, They're I, never going to stop. Night Moves has basically been in my Warner Brother archives cart for like months now, because you just can't stop talking about it. You watched it with me. Did I? <laughs> yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> anyway, he actually worked with Beatty a couple years before this in a movie called Mickey One, which I just watched for the first time recently. It was sort of... Penn's take on the French New Wave trying to emulate Truffaut and Godard, both of who were offered this movie, by the way, oh, to wow. direct, and both turned it down for different reasons.
3: Yeah, I guess there is kind of a familiar feeling when you think about Breathless.
2: Yeah. Well, Beatty wanted an American director because he felt like they needed an American for like the violence and stuff. yeah. yeah. But... Before Beatty became involved and took over and was like producing it and stuff, they were trying different French directors and things like that. And it is interesting that they landed on Arthur Penn after offering it to a whole bunch of different directors. And he had actually turned it down a couple times too because he had emulated the French New Wave directors with Mickey One*, which I don't really feel like is a great movie. It was okay. I would say that the most interesting aspect is that he and Beatty did not get along at all during that, oh, wow. and then they just two years later they're making another movie. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, how mad are you going to be when I check in uh, Night Moves on Letterboxd and don't mark it as a rewatch? Well, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on your Letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't remember Melanie Griffith.
3: I, I, I probably will when I start watching it again. It's a good movie. Did you, but you must have had a resurgence with Night Moves. In yeah, the past I rewatched few months, it right. Yeah, yeah, we watched it okay. recently.
2: Beatty wanted to do Bonnie and Clyde in black and white, but he was overruled by the studio. I think that's better. I love black and white movies. Yeah. I think it works particularly well sometimes. But I think this- having that shock of red oh, yeah. in these violent scenes is cool and is one of the defining things. Right? Uh, yeah, right? I would say it definitely helps for the violence element. Warner Brothers was not thrilled with this movie even after it was finished, they were sort of like, "Oh, they sort of considered <laughs> it an unwanted throwback we to Warner Brothers' early period of w- gangster films." Oh
3: yeah, they just did not want to be associated with it.
2: Yeah, I can see that. It, it not only just because of the violence and because of it, it, it just the style is very. It has like a, a much more modern flavor to it than I think what a lot of the major studio fare was. And what do you mean, Clyde doesn't want to have sex with Bonnie? <laughs>
3: Who's going to believe this?
2: Yeah, well, that is w- one of the key elements of the story that they seemingly made up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really think that's based off of anything. They originally were considering making Clyde bisexual and having a scene where they have to include CW in order to like make it happen. Oh, wow. That would have been wild. yeah. There just was no way that, yeah. that the world was ready <laughs> I can't for that imagine. in 67. And it's weird that they just decided to assign some sort of noteworthy sexual thing to Clyde. Because like I said, I'm pretty sure this is all made up. They just decided they wanted to do that sure, for some sure. reason. Yeah. But at that time, before people became much more tolerant, they were afraid the audience would then consider... Clyde's deviancy as like the reason why they were criminals and sort of turn on them, which is weird to think because you're basically like, all right, well let's create these two people that drive around robbing banks and killing people. And they're supposed to be like the heroes of the movie. We don't want our audience turning on them by making (laughs) him bisexual. right? (laughs) But we'll sort of talk about that as we go. I might as well just bring it up now because I did mention Queen and Slim already. When they first released the Queen and Slim trailer oh I yeah guess like two years ago or something the marketing and some of the initial comments even were very much pushing like the idea of the black bonnie and Clyde. Maybe that's like the, a I, line from the i was gonna trailer. say
3: isn't like they used a blurb of that basically like on screen well a character says it oh okay sort of as like a joke that, okay but that's yeah. probably why i remember it then yeah
2: and i did see some people commenting basically saying which is kind of crazy because these are fictional characters but that What they do in the movie is justified because they were going to be shot by the police or whatever, and this is sort of like this big social justice stand, and it's based off of like racism and it's like this whole thing, and you can't really compare that to people that were just like robbing banks, who were essentially criminals. But here's the thing that people maybe don't realize, unless they did the research and like would know about this. Bonnie and Clyde, to a large part of the country and for a large portion of their crime spree up until close to the end when things started to to turn on them, were considered folk heroes. This was the Great Depression. We were in the midst of the Great Depression. They were robbing from the banks, which were considered evil by a, a large portion of the population because of what was happening. It's like Robin Hood, but just no giving anything back to the poor. No, but they wouldn't rob from, like, regular people, yeah, yeah. and they were basically just fucking with the banks and the police. And so, yeah, I and then there I mean, was... that comes off in the movie with the whole, the guy whose house is foreclosed
3: yeah, on, yeah. the guy whose money they don't take that's in, in the bank.
2: Yeah. They do try to, like, put that into the movie a little bit, but I do think that...
3: Was there any real stories of them getting, like, pictures with people? I don't know. Okay. For some reason I felt like that was a thing.
2: Well, one thing that happened was the famous picture of Bonnie with the cigar and the hat and the gun and stuff, which I think they recreate in the movie for a minute or something. Right, right. That was actually just found on some undeveloped roll of film that they found at, like, one of their hideouts that they ran away from or something. Oh, wow. And I think they were just doing it as, like, goofing around because it's not like she actually smokes cigars or anything. Yeah. Wow. And they were just, like, having fun or whatever. It's sort of, like, up for debate who did what, who killed who. How much did Bonnie do? You know, different stuff like that. It's like, I will say the
3: way it comes off in the movie is that before they're like really in it, it feels like a lot of the murders are avoidable. Like, they don't need to be killing people. I mean, the guy on the car, it seems like, you know, he wasn't
2: going to last on the car. <laughs> I don't know that he had to be shot. Well, when you're playing that game, it's just a matter of time. That's right. I think in those days, they wouldn't have had to have killed anybody to be able to be shot at or killed you know yeah i think just robbing the banks was enough so the other thing that like kept going through my
3: mind during this movie was what is the deal with just all these empty houses <laughs> it's just like empty houses everywhere I, I, what is this phantasm too? like there's just well, no it was one a depression
2: they they lost their houses. yeah it's sort of reminiscent of some other financial collapses no i get it detroit and stuff right so let's get into it. We're in the midst of the Great Depression, and the first thing we see really is a nude Bonnie Parker.
3: You're like, okay, I'm in. I mean, if there's anything that can grab
2: you. She's sort of walking around her bedroom. It's all very staged to make her seem like she's in a cage or trapped. She even like puts her face up against the bed frame. That's as right. If yeah, it looks like a person. Right? Yeah. She catches Cl- Clyde Barrow. A small-time crook in the middle of trying to steal her mother's car.
3: Yeah, small-time crook. I mean, can it get any more small-time than this? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to steal something out of a parked car from, like, an old lady.
2: Yeah, but she's bored, and she's hot, and I don't just mean her physical appearance. I mean, it's It's supposed to be Texas. Texas. (laughs) She's just trapped in this room waiting to go to a job she doesn't want, a life that is not really that fulfilling. Just hanging out fully nude. Was she nude?
3: (laughs) We can't get over that. It needs to be mentioned. I'm just like, what is this universe that this beautiful woman just walks around this room completely nude? I'm sure it happens.
2: Okay. And so, against all odds and against all reason, when she sees this guy stealing her mother's car, she's intrigued and actually just throws a dress on and runs down and starts talking to him.
3: Yeah. Just a dress, by the way? I I was thinking that. like. (laughs) Nothing going on underneath that dress, huh?
2: (laughs) I'm starting to see the reason we get
3: some (laughs) one-star reviews. Just can't get off of this. Yeah, well...
2: (laughs) Was she nude, though? Yeah, I mean...
3: Well, this is where they were starting to figure it out. Sex
2: sells. And the two of them are, are talking to each other, and they're flirting, and there's this instant chemistry, and they're both immediately putting on acts for each other, both trying to act as if they're bigger deals than they are. Clearly... He's sort of a loser. He's already done some jail time. We're gonna find out that he chopped off his own toes to avoid having to do hard labor (laughs) in prison, which just seems completely insane. This is really like
3: a Matt story, though. That when he reveals that he did it like a week before he got paroled, (laughs) and I think that is true. Yeah, that is like legendary laziness. I'm gonna cut off my toes just so I don't have to go out and like work in the field or whatever.
2: (laughs) I kind of get it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that. There's been some significant prison reform since the 30s. I'm sure it was pretty fucking rough. I bet. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's it like?
1: What you mean, prison? No.
0: Armed robbery. It ain't like anything. I knew you never rob a place, you faker. the gumption to
1: use it all right you just wait right here and you keep your eyes on
0: Baron Hi, I'm Bonnie Parker. pleased to meet you.
2: He talks about having been in prison for armed robbery. She doesn't seem to really believe him. Then he takes out his gun, she seems intrigued even more, and then he puts on a demonstration by sticking up a grocery store really fast, and then they sort of <laughs> run away and steal a car. Yeah, let
3: me prove to you that I do this stuff.
2: <laughs> what a time, really, Where this would be considered cool.:
3: That was the other thought I had while I was watching this. It is kind of like sad that crime is just sort of over in terms of like being able to get away with something for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just like, yeah, it is sad. everything is just like CS. Okay. Are you interested in trying to like murder people? What are uh, you talking I'm just... about? Light armed robbery, light armed robbery. Not yeah. a big deal. Go on the run. Okay. Forget your debit cards. Can't use that. You can't bring your iPhone with you. <laughs> it's like, you got to have cash and you got to find all businesses that take cash. Good luck. So they steal this car, they drive off into a field. That's another thing. A lot of driving into fields. (laughs) How many times are just like, you know what, pull off the road, I need to talk to you. And they just like drive into the woods.
2: Yeah, that is true. A lot of driving and then a lot of driving off road. And she's just all over him. Oh, yeah. She's going for it. She's clearly impressed by him robbing this grocery store for what seems to be like $6. And she wants to fuck in this car immediately, and he puts a stop to it, and he's, he's like... He's not a lover boy. I ain't much of a lover boy. No, no. <laughs> and that will sort of be a recurring thing, but as, this ha- as we'll yeah, find this out. This
3: should give you some pause. This is what you just did, and now this chick is just like uncontrollably all over you. <laughs> like, oh, boy.
2: Well, you have to understand how times were. There wasn't Boring. a lot to get excited yeah, about. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing Like I was thinking about when I was watching this. They're so easily able to talk cw into joining them and i know he's supposed to be dim-witted and whatever and we can talk about that later but i didn't pick up on that he's so willing to join the group she's so willing to come along with him his brother and to a lesser extent his brother's wife are just willing to do this
3: well before his brother was doing that the only thing he could
2: do is like scream like
1: Like (laughs) woohoo
2: My point is though that people just didn't have anything to oh, do, yeah. and there was a lot of hopelessness and desperation. That's right. I, it had to be like long days. I mean, if you live to like fifty, that
3: had to be like living to a hundred now. <laughs> <laughs> just the days, you're just like, okay, what are we gonna do today? Let's Nothing. Just stand in a field. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, despite the fact that he doesn't seem super interested in her sexually, he does talk about her looks. He talk. He calls her the best girl in all of Texas. And he's got this good rap. I'd go further than that. And she's buying in. She's like, okay, well, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't have sex immediately, but okay. I I think I'm into this. this I'm into this partnership. It's
3: got her intrigue a little bit. Most of the guys that are coming around,
2: I would say, take a different approach. Yeah, they go to this diner, and he's furthering his rap, and he's got her pegged.
1: You're born somewhere around East Texas, right? Yeah. You come from a big old family? Yeah. you went to school of course but you didn't take to it much because you was a lot smarter than everybody else so you just up and quit one day now when you were 16 you, 17 there was a guy who worked in a in a cement plant right cement plant and you and you liked him cuz he thought you were just as nice as you could be and you almost married that guy but then you thought no you didn't think you would so then you got you your job in the cafe and now you wake up every morning and you hate it you just hate it you get on down there and you put on your white uniform Pick. Uh And them truck drivers come in there to eat your greasy burgers And they kid you and you kid them back But they're stupid and dumb boys with the big old tattoos on them And you don't like it And they ask you for dates and sometimes you go But you mostly don't because all they're ever trying to do Is get in your pants whether you want them to or not So you go on home and you sit in your room And you think now when and how am I ever going to get away from this And
2: now you know it's a pretty convincing scene but at the end of it they have a partnership now they're gonna do this together it's that fast and that easy she's got really nothing holding her to her hometown to her past life
3: which that is a great way to live i tried to live that way for as long as i could (laughs) nothing
2: tying me to anything yeah i kind of almost live like that except for this goddamn blu-ray collection just (laughs) holding me back it's like an anchor. Yeah, that's right. I can't just leave it. No, no. <laughs> what about all these expensive art print posters?
3: Yeah, it is. You you have built quite a life for yourself now, and I don't know how you're going to be able to peel away from this. is a podcast
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, as you mentioned, they find this house. They're sort of crashing there, and then the previous owners show up, but they're not mad. They're more mad at the bank. The guy says the bank took it, and this is – what we were alluding to. Bonnie and Clyde become folk heroes because of who they target. And most people did not look favorably upon the banks or the government or anything like that during the Great Depression, which makes sense.
1: Absolutely. This year's Miss Bonnie Parker. I'm Clyde Barron. Clyde. No we robbed banks.
2: Honestly, I know that we haven't gone through anything quite as long or as terrible as the great depression but this past year plus of covid stuff is is sort of reminiscent there's this frustration and anger and depression and desperation we're not that far removed from the recession
3: that we were in you know 10 years ago yeah it seems like we're just headed to like a cycle of that
2: kind of shit over yeah really so we see like a couple of quick attempts at them trying to kick off their life of crime the first attempt It's a failed bank that they try to rob. And not just the robbery is a failure, but it's a literal failed bank. There's no money there. (laughs) The guy's just laughing Clyde out of there. And then when he makes the guy come out and tell Bonnie, and then Bonnie laughs, and he just... (laughs) He doesn't really know how to react to this, but eventually he's just like, yeah, all right. And then they try to rob a grocery store for food, and this is even a bigger disaster because... As he's, like, loading up some bags with food, this guy with a meat cleaver attacks him. Oh, that's right, yeah. He's got to fight this guy off. This guy's off. a beast, too. And somehow, in the magic of movie storytelling, this is the guy that will... Finger him. Recognize yeah. a mugshot. I don't know why they would even have considered <laughs> I it to loved, show uh, this guy yeah. that picture. I-, I
3: loved police work in this time. They just <laughs> have, like, Polaroids of a bunch of dudes that have been arrested, and they're just, like, going through one by one. Is it this guy?
2: yeah. I don't know if that means that we're supposed to believe that Clyde's previous criminal activity is more of a big deal than maybe we thought, that they would somehow get to him as a potential... I don't know. I mean, Texas, even in the 30s, it's a big state. There's a lot of people. I don't know how they would get to him. It does seem crazy. But it simplifies the story, because part of... The Bonnie and Clyde folklore is the media coverage. Yeah, yeah. That's is true. being in the newspapers, is becoming this being sensation. on the lamb. Yeah. It's not just who are these people? We don't know who they are. It's like we know their names. That's the whole deal. Like while it's happening, it's a big thing. The duos crime spree starts to take shape once they recruit a dim witted gas station attendant, C. W. Moss, played by the late Michael J. Pollard. Cw
3: kind of a bit of a ghoul. I feel like <laughs> he was kind of looking to me like if Patton Oswalt and Ben Gibbard had a kid. <laughs> Can you name a movie we've done on this show that he was in? No, in fact, I was going to click on his <laughs> name in the cast and be. And I, in fact, I said I've never seen anything else with him in it.
2: I'm not even going to click on it. He's Go a- ahead. He's actually in Scrooged. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, he had a pretty long career. He was in a lot of stuff, but. Nothing we've done on the show other than that. All right. Hey, you just tell me what was wrong with that boy.
1: Dirt. Dirt? Dirt in a fuel line. Just blowed it away. (laughs) Uh. Excuse me, ma'am. Is there anything else I could do for you today?
0: You're a smart fella. You sure do know a lot about automobiles, don't you? Yes, I guess I do. Well, um... Would
1: well, you know what kind of car this is? This is a four-cylinder Ford coupe. No. Sure, sure is.
0: This is a stolen four-cylinder Ford coupe.
1: Hey, you ain't scared, are you? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I believe he is. Well, that's a pity now. We sure could have used a smart boy like that who knows such a great deal about automobiles. Are hey, you a good driver, boy? Yeah, reckon I am. No, he's better off here.
0: What's your name, boy? C.W. Moss. Well, I'm Miss Bonnie Parker, and this here's Mr. Clyde Barrow. We rob banks.
1: (laughs) Hey, now, there ain't nothing wrong with that, is there? No. No. Uh Uh-uh,
0: Clyde,
1: he ain't the one. Let's go. Uh, Hey, boy, you think you got the guts for our line of work? What are you talking about? I spent a year. I spent a year in reformatory. <laughs> a man with a record. I know you got the nerve to shortchange old ladies who're coming in for gas. What I'm asking you is, have you got what it takes to pull bank jobs with
0: us? Mr. C.W. Moss. Sure I do. I ain't afraid. That's
1: what you think. Prove it.
2: Throughout all of this time period, one of the issues amongst the group which you would think maybe would get complicated by adding another male into it, but it really doesn't, is Bonnie's lack of sexual gratification. Yeah. They never give you the impression that she's a virgin or anything like that. Well is he? I I don't know. I don't think so. I don't yeah, know.
3: The only time I I didn't feel like that most of the way through, but when they actually do That's true. The deed later, the way that he's reacting it is almost like it,
2: it was his first time. Yeah, they don't really indicate in the film if we're supposed to think that Clyde is actually gay or if this is just some sort of a physical slash mental issue. But it did make me think that in a pre Viagra world, I, that's where that's I just was going. The with end it. of it. Yeah, there's really just. There's I just no cannot story. ever do this again. Yeah. God, it would be so great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what a relief! Um, now, I think at one point in my life, I, I certainly would have watched this, being like this is insane, like, throwing my arms up in the air that this dude is not going for it nonstop with Faye Dunaway. But I think you reach a certain point in life where you're like, you know what, I kind of get it. Like, if
2: Anade Armas started dating me, I would be like, no, we can't. (laughs) Well, you would probably get arrested for trying to date somebody that had, like, clearly a head injury and was no longer (laughs) capable of making decisions for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, but, I
3: mean, if it is just, like... This smoking hot babe, I would just be like, no, it, we it, we just can't do
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> what date or have sex or both? Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just too much. <laughs> you really?
3: Yeah, I, I can't handle it. I mean, I don't know. What what do you want me to do?
2: The big moment comes where they have a semi-successful robbery of a bank. But then CW decides to park the car, like, parallel park it, really. So when they come out of the bank, <laughs> this is everything's insane. fucked up. Their, their getaway is Where's messed up. Where's the car? Up. They have to find the car. I, He's trying to pull out.
3: I like how excited he is to fu- that this spot is opening up. <laughs> He's, like, visibly stoked that this parking spot has become open. And then, like, a complete idiot cannot. Like, he does, like, the best parallel park ever. And then can't get, get it, it out. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
2: But this ultimately leads to the gang's first murder, where they shoot either a bank employee or a cop (laughs) who tries to jump on the the car. Yeah, (laughs) it's a pretty shocking murder, though, because it's like a spray of blood, like yeah, and it's kind of like a close up on the
3: dude's face, and then it's like a bullet straight in the middle of his forehead.
2: Yeah, I think you have to remember how this was back then. That that alone would be a pretty jarring moment to set you up for the big finale later. There
3: were some walkouts
2: after that part. Clyde offers Bonnie the chance to leave, and he gets a definitive and firm no. And so this is where we finally actually learn (laughs) of Clyde's impotence, because at this point, it hasn't really been specified what the deal is. But they try to have sex, and without really ever saying it, they do a great job of just conveying that, without ever saying it specifically. Oh, yeah. What's happening. Yeah, we get it.
3: I do enjoy when they're in the movie theater after the murder, and you can't stop talking about what just happened.
2: Yeah. Well, what do you think? Okay. So they invented him probably being impotent. They wanted to do bisexual. This is 1967. The action of the film takes place in the thirties. Do you think, (laughs) do you think people like did oral sex on women (laughs) in the thirties? I would have to imagine. No, I'm joking. Of course, of course they did. But I do think it is realistic that he would just not even know that that's an option. There was like to try more that. junior Sopranos out there. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I don't know why that that's never even considered. I mean, you know, I don't know how graphic we want to get, but I mean, there's oral, there's fingers, there's different things there. Clearly a lot of gun symbolism at one point, like right during this scene, yeah, she like, right. literally puts her head next to a gun. Yes. On the bed, and you're like, okay, clearly the gun is the stand-in for the penis there. Well,
3: he's like, we can't get anything started, because she'll eventually find out that nothing else is happening. I think she
2: knows. Right. At this point. There's no secret. He's not a lover boy. (laughs) She was laying on top of him. Nothing's happening. Yeah, I think there were options, is I guess what I'm saying. Sure. There was some fun to be had. She seems like she's going to stay in the gang. It's like, you know, maybe at least give her something.
3: I feel like this help. is kind of like what keeps her on the hook, though. Oh, okay. Because at any point, once this happens, you know, she can just go back to her old
2: life, picking up truck drivers or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. They don't really make it super clear when she's identified in the movie, right? It just sort of happens, right? I I think so. Because yeah. there's clearly the moment the Meat Cleaver He's guy identifies him. He's a criminal. I mean, him. no one knows who she is. Yeah, but they did know, eventually. And then they obviously know in the movie whenever they have to organize the weird family reunion thing.
3: Yeah, they're like, wait, isn't isn't that the hottest chick in Texas?
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clyde's older brother, Buck, played by Gene Hackman. That's right. And his wife, Blanche, played by Estelle Parsons.
3: How would you feel to be the Gene Hackman brother in this family? No knock on Gene Hackman, but I mean, I think Warren Beatty... (laughs) won the genetic lottery out of those two.
2: The weird thing about Hackman is this was very early in his career. This was not his first thing, but close to it. He's actually my age in this movie. He was already 37 in 1967. That is insane. And he's still alive now. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that's something that you never could imagine happening now is somebody not hitting it big until they were almost 40. And then having a two or three decade run of being a pretty big actor. Really? And looking like Gene Hackman. So you're telling me you still have hope? Of becoming a famous actor? Yeah, just of hitting it big. I consider myself like a Gene Hackman type.
3: (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I have hair like Gene Hackman.
2: (laughs) This is the kind of actor that we're missing today. Everybody looks the same. We say the same stuff all the time. Every episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody looks like they're airbrushed out of a magazine. Where are your Gene Hackmans? Really? The guys that can just bring it in every movie. Blanche. (laughs) I I love the name Blanche. Happens to be a preacher's daughter. They join up with the gang. The gang is now formed. This is an amalgam of the gang. I already sort of covered this.
3: Bonnie just never thrilled with Blanche being around.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a lot to say about Blanche, because Blanche was still alive when this movie came out, and she was not particularly thrilled with this (laughs) portrayal. She was like, I was way cooler than this. Yeah, basically. We'll get to that in a minute. The two women dislike each other at first sight, and their feud will continue to escalate throughout the rest of the movie. Blanche has nothing but disdain for Bonnie, Clyde, and CW. While Bonnie sees Blanche's flighty presence and nonstop screaming and name dropping and not being careful as a constant danger to the gang's survival. And because of the murder, the whole game is now changed. It's up the pursuit. They're now America's most wanted, you know, before that existed. That kind of a thing. If they hadn't killed anybody, they would still be pursued. But this just escalates everything so much more. I do like when they first meet up with
3: Blanche and what's Gene Hackman's character's name? Buck. Yeah. I like when they first meet up and Buck is like, hey, I heard you chopped off two of your toes in person. How how does word just spread on these things?
2: I don't know. It seems like just something for a movie. It, It does seem unlikely that they would hear this much about each other.
1: What do you think of her? Bonnie? She's a peach. Now tell me, true, Uh is she as good as she looks? She's better. (laughs) Hey. Listen, it was, it was either you or him, wasn't it? What? The guy that you killed, you had to do it, didn't you? It was either you or him. You put me on the spot. I what? had to. I you had to do it, right? I had to. I had to. I, had I to. knew you did. Don't uh, say anything to Blanche about that. All right. Hey, uh, that time you broke out of jail, that true she, she talked you and going back. Yeah, and you hear about that? Huh? That true? Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't say nothing to Bonnie about it. I appreciate that. <laughs> We surely are. Uh, Woo! (laughs) What are we gonna do? Well, how's this? I figured we all drive up Missouri. They ain't looking for me up there. We find a nice little place to hole up in. We have us a regular vacation. Right? Yeah. uh... No trouble now. Oh, I ain't looking to go back to no prison. I heard in prison that you had a little trouble there. You was cutting on your toes. <laughs> you heard about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I did a little toe-cutting. That ain't but half of it. I did it so I could get off a of work detail, you know, breaking them damn rocks with a sledgehammer yeah. night and day. And you know what? The very next week I get paroled, I walk out of that godforsaken jail on crutches. <laughs> <laughs> ain't life grand. <laughs>
3: But they've got grandiose plans now to just go find a house in where Wyoming or something? Or Missouri? No, Missouri. They're Missouri. going on
2: vacation in Missouri, Yeah, basically, to, to go to a state where the heat is not as much, and then hopefully it will die down over time. Which it doesn't. Well, first of all, they go to this house, the five of them. Everybody's sort of on edge a little bit, mostly because of Bonnie and Blanche not liking each other. Bonnie seems constantly on edge. Yeah. <laughs> Because of the lack of sex. It's sort of a great yeah. performance. She's always got this, like, sort of tense electricity to her character. It
3: feels like there could be a scene at any moment.
2: Yeah. I I, I I don't know if this is, like, an expression that's fallen out of fashion, but she does seem like a cat in heat, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like... Everything is very tense. That's true. A, yeah. In the situation. And because they don't added cross in these, her, that's for sure. Yeah. They've added in these additional people. Blanche is like not quiet. She's sort of abrasive.
3: Yeah. I can't say it's not very calm. This group, they're all constantly the loudest people in whatever <laughs> room they're in. You know what I mean? Well, like, now that
2: Buck and Blanche are involved. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like
3: they, they have no idea what keeping a low profile means. Yeah. I would be like, can everybody just calm down?
2: Blanche what, referred to her on-screen portrayal as a screaming horse's ass, which I just think is the funniest visual and kind first of accurate. Of
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> what an expression—a screaming horse's ass.
3: But there's like a part when they're at, staying at one of the places where they send everybody else except for Bonnie and Clyde to go get food or whatever, and it would just be—I would like, we have to go <laughs> while they're gone. Like I just cannot be around these. No, people I think Buck out. is
2: not. On that trip, oh, he's but he's not, not with it, them yeah. either because they have separate cabins, but that's a little bit later. So when they're in Missouri, it leads to this whole shootout slash escape because of Blanche using Bonnie or Clyde's name in earshot of the grocery delivery boy or something. It's sort of a stretch to think this would all play out like that. But whatever, it, it's a movie. They're discovered. There's a little bit of a an attempted raid
3: yeah, this is like the first of many parts where I'm really like questioning like what the deal with cars was because they're using the police car to block the driveway. Yeah. And then they just ram through it, indicating that these things are just like weightless.
2: <laughs> well, the braking mechanisms I think were different because I think this is real and there's some dispute or discussion over who pushed what or whatever because like I said, Blanche is portrayed as sort of this useless screaming horse's ass where i think in reality she did do different things okay and the pushing of the police car she might have been involved with that or something gotcha but things really come to a head in this situation where they're trying to escape because buck ends up killing a man so now they're in it at this point there's no turning back which he audibly points out to blanche (laughs) at some point it's almost like he did it intentionally just so that they wouldn't (laughs) have to leave
3: right let's tie a bow on this like we're in the group
2: we're in the gang. I can just imagine. It's like, our lives were terrible. You never stop screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Let me have some fun in this I, Let's gang. have some fun, and I hope this ends in my violent death. Which it does. Yes. <laughs> because of this situation, because the murders are escalating, the violence is escalating, there's this increased media coverage, and the gang, especially Clyde, seem to embrace the publicity. They seem to have fun with it. They like it. It's all an entertainment to them, this whole thing, doing it and then reading about it. (laughs) And the papers exaggerate things. They attribute things to the gang that they didn't do. It's sort of like typical tabloid journalism tactics that would still maintain to this very day. Absolutely, yeah. Still effective. Fake news, (laughs) (laughs) etc. The gang is pursued by law enforcement, including... Texas Ranger Frank Hammer, whom they manage to capture and then humiliate before eventually setting free. And they do this by getting the drop on him because he finds them by himself. And then they force him, they like handcuff him and they force him to like take pictures with them, different <laughs> yeah. poses and I enjoy stuff. this. Like Bonnie kisses him. I'd be like, well, this is great. <laughs> oh, I know. And he spits at her. Yeah. This monster. God, they should have just killed him. I, right absolutely. Time. He should. Yeah, he should have been killed right after that happened. Decapitated. Yeah, meanwhile, she kisses him. He gets like a huge fucking boner, and she just <laughs> looks at Clyde like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, really. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, this is totally invented, and it didn't really happen, but it adds sort of a fun, goofy element to the gang. Because it's an interesting choice, and this may have had something to do with the time in which the movie came out and everything, but they do portray... These criminals as the heroes and we're supposed to like them and they do try to like set up this strict morality to the gang which doesn't necessarily jive with like normal people's morality but they're not gonna like kill random people that's right yeah they have a code they don't rob random random people yeah they it's try like to like omar from the wire yeah they try to make them seem cool and Actually, to be fair, that is one of the reasons they had Blanche acting so over the top was to make Bonnie seem even cooler. They wanted the audience to think Bonnie and Clyde were like super cool. And I think in real life, the media perception and the public perception was very favorable up until like one specific incident, which does not happen in this movie, where things sort of shifted and changed because they killed a couple of people that I don't know. they shouldn't have, I guess. I, I'm not really sure what the exact <laughs> not that they should have killed anyone, but <laughs> in terms of like the public well, it pr- turns opinion. out there was
3: a few people that everyone was like, "Well, we were okay on those ones.
2: <laughs> it was like somebody who was like about to be married, and then like the the woman like oh, wore yeah. the wedding dress to the funeral. I mean, it was like a whole thing. Wow, that is bad press. There were conflicting stories about what happened, who shot first, that whole thing about that particular incident, and then the oh, public like turn, Star Wars. turned against them, and yeah. that was pretty much close to the end, though. But that's not in this movie, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're talking about that. something
2: that happened almost 100 years ago, really. The exploits start getting more and more violent. There's shootouts, car chases, daring escapes, and eventually the gang needs to steal another car, and they just try to do so in broad daylight. They steal the car of a guy named Eugene Grizzard, and he's with his gal pal... Velma Davis, and Eugene is played by Gene Wilder in his first film appearance. Looking
3: older than I would have expected him to look.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was like similar in age to... Hackman? Beatty. Somewhere around there between the two. I think Hackman is like seven years older than Beatty. Okay. Something like that. Somewhere around there. I kind of was into uh, Velma. This whole little segment is sort of like a bizarre little interlude of comedy because it's sort of funny to me that yeah. Velma and Eugene pursue the gang oh. and then they start well, what if rethinking they it and they're like all right let's turn around and get the sheriff and then the gang pursues them yeah, they yeah, catch right. up the gang abducts them they pile six in the car I
3: would say a lot of that is played for laughs that this whole situation with these two yeah because even the way that it ends with the whole like <laughs> she's like I'm 33 and he's, like, stunned by that <laughs> yeah. revelation. I actually I, wrote that down. Where, he's like, what does that mean? Th-
2: like, Velma, how old are you? And she says 33. And Eugene's face is just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> was that implying that he thought she was, like, much younger? That,
3: I was thinking that and maybe she's even been lying to him. Well, yeah. Just because of the situation that they're in, it didn't cross her mind to keep this lie up. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird. I know. It is such a weird thing to throw in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it is funny, and then when they ask Eugene what he does, he says, I'm an undertaker, and Bonnie's like, get them out. And they just leave them on the side (laughs) of the road, that's the end of it. Which implies sort of a superstitious nature to her that we don't really see. What a job
3: to have, by the way. Imagine just being like a dude in your 30s, and you're like, I'm an undertaker. Well, do you think that that doesn't happen? (laughs) (laughs) What? They, They probably listen to the show. I'm superstitious too Do you I'm think just that like, you have to wait listening. until
2: you're like an old ghoul Before you're an <laughs> yeah, undertaker I, I It's do like actually. undertakers start yeah. young No I think
3: it's like a Walmart greeter Like you don't do it until <laughs> after
2: you retire from your real job Until you almost need an undertaker I know
1: <laughs> right, there you go <laughs> now, now didn't I order some french fries Uh yeah you did Yeah yeah <laughs> there you go. You, you, hey, Now take it easy on them french fries Velma Ain't that right, Gene? Uh, this is in line. <laughs> I ordered mine well done. Who's got the other hamburger? Oh, is this supposed to be yours? It's okay. Forget it. Hey, officer, having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad we picked you up? you <laughs> <Huh>? Your grand <laughs> host, bud. <Buzz. laughs> Maybe you all ought to join up with us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy,
1: they sure would be surprised to hear that back home.
0: What, what would Bill and Martha say if they heard that? Lordy,
1: they would have a fit.
0: Hey, what do you do anyhow?
1: I'm an undertaker.
0: <laughs> Get them out of here. <laughs>
2: This sets off a spiral time period for Bonnie, which leads to her like freaking out. They organize a family get together for her because the lawmen have been staking out her family's house. She hasn't been able to see her mom. It's a whole thing. This is actually how the real life version of Frank Hammer caught the gang was because the gang would sort of drive between all these different states, but they would take turns visiting different families. Oh yeah. Orchestrating. And so he sort of just guessed where they were going to go next. It was like a whole thing based on like a pattern that he kind of figured out. But they organized this thing to see Bonnie's family. family. Which, by the
3: way, I thought all these people did kind of look like they were
2: related to Faye Dunaway. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. There isn't a lot of people credited in this film. So who knows who these people even were? Yeah. (laughs) They shot this through like a a, a specific kind of window screen. Oh, parts of this was kind of, I was like, this kind of feels like Nomadland a little bit. I was getting almost like a Days of Heaven sure. feel. I do think that Terrence Malick was definitely influenced by this movie. I think they specifically mentioned that in the Badlands credits maybe or something. But yeah, they use this specific window screen to make it hazy and have like a nostalgic feel. It looks different from the rest of the Absolutely, movie. Absolutely, yeah. It looks good. And when she talks to her mom, and, and Clyde is talking to her as well, It sort of seems like it's dawning on Bonnie how this is all going to end for like the first time, where she's just sort of coming to grips with, like, this is only going to end with us being dead. There's really no other way. Yeah, that's right. At this point. Every time could be the last time. Clyde is still selling a fantasy a little bit, at least to Bonnie's mom, but the truth is pretty evident at this point. She complains of having the blues. I don't know if this is still related to her not being able to get that dick. I don't know. Oh, I think,
3: well, Clyde, I think, is a little more grounded all the time, and I almost feel like she's living with her head in the clouds through a lot of this. And I think as she moves on, it's a little bit like, okay, there is a dark reality here. My life is over.
2: She's a poet. She's a dreamer. Absolutely. When she jumped out that window, she probably thought she could fly.
3: I've, I'm sure she did.
2: <laughs> no, she actually does read poems in this movie, and those are actually the real poems of... Bonnie Parker that they found after her death. Did they really have something published
3: while they were still alive?
2: Maybe, I don't know. Did did they get to that point in the movie? I thought he w- he said that, but then
3: I thought it was implied because then she can. It's all while she's reading this thing, and then they have like a newspaper blow away. So, and, and, oh like, yeah, I don't know. Changed, so I thought that I thought that's what they were implying, but uh, yeah,
2: it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. After another blow up between Bonnie and Blanche. Blanche and C.W. go out to buy these chicken dinners and then are recognized getting those dinners for the gang, which then leads to a raid at these rented cabins later that night, which catches them all off guard. There's a wild shootout, which leaves Buck mortally wounded with a headshot.
3: Yeah, that's right. He just gets shot in the head and then is kind of alive for a longer period of time than you would expect afterwards.
2: (laughs) It's like Reservoir Dogs. Right. (laughs) I'm fucking dying here, man. Yeah. Blanche is injured as well. She'll eventually be blind <laughs> out of this somehow. I don't know that I the real really life Blanche it's... was blind, or else how would she know? I guess she could hear that she was a screaming horse. I wasn't really clear movie. on how
3: she became blind. I mean, it seemed like she got glass in one of her eyes or something, but... Something happened. Yeah.
2: Who knows? You have to remember, since a lot of this stuff had never been put in movies before, there is sort of a, a certain clumsiness to some of these things right. sometimes. Where it's just sort of like, oh, I guess that's what's happening here. Or I guess that's what happened. It's like, okay. It's not as slowed down and crystal clear as maybe like modern action sequences now. Where you can definitely tell what you're supposed to know from a certain thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more vague. Which gives it the feeling maybe of more real life. Where things just happen quickly and you don't really know what happened. That's right. But... For a movie, sometimes it, it seems strange where you're like, well, wait, what just happened? Did Glass go in her eye? Did she get shot? I don't know. Now, by that last shootout, it is just like you've seen enough of these now. You're like, man,
3: these cops just cannot figure this shit out. <laughs> like, how do they keep getting away?
2: Yeah, well, I think portraying the, the police as like bumbling idiots always sort of helps make the, the main people seem cooler, although... Bonnie and Clyde's crime spree did last years. That's right, because the cops were bumbling idiots. <laughs> this was the Great Depression. It's not like these were all like the the top of the top. Right, yeah. These were just probably the random farm boys and stuff. Didn't exactly have like the strictest training. This particular shootout, they escape, they get into the woods, and there's like this second phase in the woods where Blanche ends up getting captured, Buck dies, That's and right. then Bonnie, Clyde, and C W are barely escaping through the woods on foot. Bonnie and Clyde both end up getting shot where That's they right. jump into like this stream or One creek One dude or ends up
3: following them and really good accuracy for a handgun from this guy. <laughs> There's a couple moments of great magnum accuracy. like Yeah. Because Clyde shoots the gun out of the hand of the sheriff. Well, he dude. was
2: actually renowned for his marksmanship, okay. which is what made them so dangerous and why what happened to them happened to them. Well, a lot of things contributed to that but they were considered so dangerous which right because right. of his great skill with a gun
3: but they managed to escape from the stream and like crawl up a hillside pretty beaten and battered at this point yeah
2: they both are shot in this particular incident i do think that one or both of them was actually shot at one point in their real lives before you know before the end obviously but the one thing that they do omit from the story is this horrible car crash they get into where something burned Bonnie's leg like really bad. Oh, shit. To the point where she had to be like carried a lot up until the end. And they weren't sure if it was like acid from the car battery or if it was like gasoline or something. But like a horrible injury that she oh, almost wow. died from. So, yeah, by the time they got to the end, they were both pretty ragged anyway. In this, they sort of just simplify it to, oh, they both got shot in this one shootout. Okay, yeah. They're both limping to the finish line Again, it
3: feels like they're surrounded. There's so many people shooting at them, and it doesn't feel like this is a situation they're going to escape, but they do. Yeah,
2: they always do. They manage to steal another car from a farmhouse, and they escape once again. With Blanche now sightless and in police custody, Hammer, the Texas Ranger, tricks her into revealing CW's name. Because up until then he was only an quote unidentified suspect. That's right, yeah. So once they know CW's name, they get lucky because that's where they're headed next. Because they don't really know where else to go. Speaking of actors with character, CW's
3: dad. I don't see a <laughs> like pers- looking in a mirror. For yeah, me. really, I, I'm not seeing uh, today uh, a guy that looks like that landing a lot of roles.
2: <laughs> yeah, Hammer uses the information from Blanche to locate Bonnie Clyde and CW hiding and recuperating at the house of CW's father, who, behind Bonnie and Clyde's back, indicates that he thinks the couple have corrupted his son, specifically because CW's gotten this ridiculous tattoo.
3: Oh, I know. I, I, wow, I, I was thinking to myself, they even had tattoos in the 30s? Oh, yeah. It just seems crazy. <laughs> it seems imagine? like
2: he mostly just did it because Bonnie thought it was cool. Well, I can't blame him for that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like... Whenever they're first trying to recruit CW and he's, like, looking into that car and Bonnie's just, like, sort of playing him like a fiddle, you are thinking it's, like, well, what's the deal here? Are you guys, like, a couple? Can I yeah. can I get involved here? <laughs> and you know that Bonnie's, like, ready for it. She's not really getting satisfied. So, I don't know. I know if CW was, like, a little bit cooler of a customer. He could have made a move. Yeah, he could have got something going. Something could have happened. <laughs>
3: But I mean, the idea of getting a tattoo <laughs> in this era just seems like, man, there there had to be a lot of risks associated with that.
2: Oh, yeah. CW's father makes a deal with Hammer secretly. In exchange for leniency for his son, he helps set a trap for the two outlaws. While this is all happening, Clyde finally delivers the goods sexually. in sort of an anticlimactic moment. It is frustrating sometimes where you're, like, reading about this movie, pushing the boundaries and stuff, and then it seems, like, very tame to not even, like, give us any of the sex yeah. scene.
3: I'm imagining it like the uh, Wolf of Wall Street just over in, like, 30 seconds.
2: <laughs> yeah, although she seems happy with it.
3: That's right. Well, I mean, it's been a long wait for her, so just, you know.
2: <laughs> I was thinking more like American Pie. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> With Shane and Elizabeth. And she was still fulfilled by that? <laughs> Her well, it was hair the- is all, like, must-up. Just like,
2: <laughs> was it good for you? It was the 30s. Just the idea of satisfying your man. Yeah, it right. all it took. Yeah.
3: <laughs> she lights up a cigarette.
2: <laughs> well, this is what she would have to get used to if I was Clyde, all right? <laughs> I know, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Not much. Not much more than what he's doing. <laughs>
3: And he's like, Yeah, I was pretty good, wasn't I?
2: Going down. <laughs> something that Clyde just can't even wrap his mind around, evidently. <laughs> Although she probably couldn't either. I just don't know where you would even hear about this. They didn't stuff do that like in that. Texas, yeah.
3: <laughs> that was something that like, you know, was just catching on
2: in like New York City and LA. <laughs> you're like, you're gonna find this surprising, but I actually minored in Texas sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more repressed. Cunnilingus wasn't introduced until World War II. It wasn't on the
3: menu (laughs) in the 30s.
2: When Bonnie and Clyde stop on the side of the road to help fix a flat tire for CW's father, the police in the bushes open fire and riddle them with bullets. Yeah. Just insane.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it is just like, okay, stop shooting. Holy shit. But it is a cool scene, like the way that tension's building they start to feel like something's off the birds all fly out of the bushes yeah and they're kind of like cutting back and forth the looks uh, it's dawning on them what's happening
2: right yeah there's really nothing they could do at this point obviously they got the jump they're like oh shit <laughs> there's a posse i love those two dudes like driving down the road in the truck yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like the last episode of the sopranos where right, you're just right. like where's it coming from what's happening because you're like is that the, is that the cops who are those people And it's just like these two random dudes. And they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. We just witnessed a massacre. Yeah, and that is pretty much true to life. You can see the pictures online of what the car looked like. Oh, it's all
3: fucked up. It's like riddled with bullets.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So first, the posse comes out of hiding to look at the bodies. And they just sort of pensively look over the car and everything. I do have to say... An anticlimactic final shot for me, just like a random shot of like Hammer and the dudes, and then it just cuts to the credits. It's not, I I feel like there was so much opportunity right there in that moment to have like a cool something. Anything. Yeah, sure. Right. Could have been a flashback, could have been a picture of a flower. I don't know. (laughs) A sunset. (laughs) Yeah. Anything. Like it just is, I know. It feels like there's no thought to that. Yeah. It just cuts to the credits and that's it.
3: It doesn't, I think it like says the end too or something.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I think stylistically it could have used like a, a a more interesting moment there, but okay. They wanted more of that sort of abrupt style of just the story's over. Yeah. I don't know if that's taken from the French New Wave or what, but it does seem almost deliberate to just be like that's in it. In the middle there of the go. scene yeah. it's just over without a second thought. Once the shooting starts and that whole thing it's, you know, it's like 2 minutes until the end of the movie there there's really no dialogue at all it's just the end nobody right, says right. anything it's just those guys are just like well i guess we didn't really need to hold the trigger that long yeah i recently rewatched the assassination of jesse james by the coward Robert oh, yeah. it almost has that same sort of feel to it when these like famous outlaws are killed and then everyone's just sort of like now what yeah right <laughs> there's almost like that it's like... hollow feeling that everyone feels about it Because it was kind of fun while it lasted. Yeah. All right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Folks. (laughs) Strong ending. Yeah, we should just like... We're just as abrupt as the movie. Yeah, just cut right to the The end. The end. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I would recommend checking out this movie if you haven't seen it. It's an important piece of American film history. The performances are all very strong. It's one of those things, and I, I feel this way a lot when it comes to... Supporting actor nominees and winners. Sure. It always feels weird when you go back and you actually look at these movies because it always seems like the people that win were barely in the thing oh, they know. win for. And it does seem strange that Estelle Parsons is one of the two Oscar wins for this movie. You're like, really? But for me, and Dunaway was nominated, and oh, so, yeah. so was Beatty. She's
3: originally. great in it and just like, wow, what an all time just goddess. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but even beyond the physical looks. <laughs> no, I know, she's amazing in it. It does seem like the type of role that is just emulated for all time. For sure. Because then like people that that tried to do it then are they're emulated afterwards and it just becomes this endless influential thing. And it's cool to see Gene Hackman, Gene Wilder, a lot of genes oh, yeah. flying around sure. in this one. Arthur Penn, I think he directed. Other than Night Moves, I mean, he and Mickey won. I think he directed, like, The Chase, maybe. Okay. But this was his definitive thing. It, you know, not really anything... Never really reached this again. This much of a big deal. Robert Benton, one of the screenwriters, he would go on to write a lot of things and direct some things. I actually watched a movie he directed pretty recently called Still of the Night with oh, yeah. Roy Scheider and Meryl Streep. It fucking sucks. Oh, that's
3: too bad. It's been That's kind of been on my list of something I wanted to watch. It's like a De
2: Palma Hitchcockian movie except it's just not watchable. <laughs> <laughs> just not entertaining at no, all. No. Some people like it. Not I mean, you, you can try it. Okay, Some I'll give it a like try. it. Yeah. It's not for me though. Sometimes it's just fun though to like check out those early 80s movies because yeah, yeah. they have just a certain look I to them. I love that
3: time. Piece. I mean the like I mean basically all the 70s, but the late 70s heading in the early 80s. Just, yeah, I think
2: still the night was like 82 or something yeah, yeah. like
0: that? What are you doing? What?
2: What? Vincent stopped making picks.
0: Well, how am I going to know what movies to see?
1: We have a wide variety of Gene Jean picks.
0: Gene's trash.
1: I'm Gene.
2: All right, so my recommendation this week will be Night Moves. Oddly oh. enough, I wrote it down. It is not streaming anywhere for free. However. You could pick up the Warner Archive Blu-ray. Unfortunately, I think the sale that Matt picked up his will be over by the time this is posted. Not if you rush. However, as of me saying this into the microphone, I don't know if this is something that is a special price. It's only $1.99 to rent on Amazon Whoa. as a streaming rental. All right. I recommend this movie. It's a dirty, mean, just grimy All 70s right. Noir detective movie with Gene Hackman and it just absolute prime Hackman. And what's her face <laughs> from <laughs> Melanie Griffin slapshot. Oh, the one who's, you know, yeah, Paul yeah. Newman's wife. Uh, she's in it. Melanie Griffith in a very early role, right? just completely nude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just one of those icky underworld detective stories. Just fun to watch. I just love those sort of noir movies when I, where they're allowed to really be nasty because it's like right. the 70s. I mean, I love the 40s and, and 50s and stuff, but you couldn't quite no, push they the were, envelope.
3: Yeah, they weren't cranking it up to this level.
2: <laughs> yeah, Night Moves is awesome. It's it's such a cool movie. I, th- I wish people more people would see it. So that's my recommendation. You can rent it on Amazon.
3: I'll just do a quick one. It had been on my watch list for a while. Finally knocked it out. Netflix original, Private Life with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. Um, oh, yeah. It's what you'd expect it to be, but it's pretty fun. I mean, there's there's some l- laughs in it. I mean, it's certainly a dramedy. Yeah. The two people in their 40s trying to conceive a child, which just seems like... Once, Your future? Yeah, well, once you get into that, it seems like it can be a very painful, inexpensive process. Not um, worth it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just, like, blowing, like, 10K just Oof. for like on one thing that doesn't work. Just a bleak situation. Having the too. kid, yeah, <laughs> they actually do have the kid, but They're, that's the thing that doesn't right, work. No, like, we yeah. don't want it. Take the, it back. Their lives are the things that don't work. <laughs> but it, I mean, there's you know, Paul Giamatti, he he's so good in these yeah these types of
2: roles, and Catherine Hahn has some really funny lines in it too. So, um. yeah, because of WandaVision, I saw some article that was like trying to put out this idea of like a Hanazons. You know, like a oh, wow. renaissance okay. of Catherine. I'm like, what do you mean? She's just had one trajectory, and it's been up. That's true, yeah. that, I remember seeing her in that movie, The Goods, I think she was in. Okay. Oof. Yeah, that's I do really, remember that movie. I'm pretty sure that's her, That's right? a
3: poll. I don't
2: know. So Probably. you're talking like...
3: I feel like I first remember in, like, Step Brothers. Is that her?
2: I knew her before Step Brothers.
3: That is her, though, right? Yes. Adam Scott's wife. Isn't there a, another actress that looks like Catherine Han?
2: Yeah, Anna Gasteyer. Okay, yeah. But I look I just like yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Cuz
3: I think that's why I had that moment of like the first time I Is that her?
2: Yeah, the first time I knew who Catherine Hahn was was The Goods, which came out in, like 2008 or 9 or yeah, something right. like
3: that. With Jeremy Piven, right?
2: Right, and Dave Kackner and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And ever since then, it seems like an upward trajectory. I've always thought she was hilarious and great. Yeah, she's good. And just like one of the best. She can do like drama and comedy and stuff. And it's just weird that people who watch like the most mainstream popular thing or like, Oh yeah. Now she's like a big deal. It's like, yeah, well we've known about her for like a decade. Yeah, I know. All right. All right. Sometimes I just need to vent a Good little stuff. bit. Yeah.
3: You got to get it out.
2: I know it's there going on Twitter. It just like my blood just starts <laughs> just boiling. <laughs> boiling. I'm just so angry <laughs> really? about everything. It's like, I get oh, it. Yeah, I know. I hate you it. To start getting worked up. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for recommendations. And, Let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter. Even though I just said that Twitter is the worst, if you are on there, follow us at Greatest Pod. Tell your friends to listen to the show. Request a sticker. Let us know if you want that sticker, please. For Matt's sake, please.
3: Yeah, I want. I need. Talk to send about her out.
2: throwing money down the toilet. No,
3: like I, I like it. I'm. I. I, hope I like we... wasting money. Really? Yeah. No, this it's not a waste. This is a good product. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. It's good
2: merch. <laughs> No, we've given stickers away. Everyone seems super happy. We want, to, we want to give away more though.
3: Yeah, that's true. Now that like you know things are looking up, people are getting vaccinated, we might take the show <laughs> on the road. You know, I want to have merch to give. I had to a people dream
2: this morning because well, I, I had to wake up early, and then I, well, I didn't have to, but I woke up early, and then I went back and took a a nap, <laughs> and I had a dream that we had a meet up with our listeners. I think we have enough
3: now that we could do it where it would be
2: it was in a subway yeah a subway restaurant
3: okay that seems like an appropriate place (laughs) appropriate venue
2: i think we were maybe even going to do a live episode in the subway or something i can't really wow yeah that would really just be the pinnacle of our careers anyway give us a rating and review on apple podcasts if you have a chance we love it follow us on letterboxd that's where the party's at (laughs) zach 1983 matt crosby let us know what you're watching and what you think about it on there. Comment on our reviews. We'll yeah. comment on yours. We, we like to get a nice dialogue going. For sure. So we thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Show me your hands. I want to know how you dance. Pretty baby by the light of the moon. You carry your lovers around in a heart like a tomb. With well, you, I want to know how you lose pretty baby, does it show in your eyes? We want to be a runner on a casual side? Did the boys at school break your precious heart in two? And in every sad, sad country song Tear a little bitty piece of them still hanging on You tell me yours, I'll tell you mine, my dear And we'll bury these old ghosts here You get those eyes Do you see with those eyes Pretty darling in the dead of the night Are you saying the prayers Are right, blowing like the metal on the edge Of the knife? The baby whose name sounds right On the lips of the queen Am I speaking in riddles Do you feel what I mean Are you dying to move Or are you dying to be the one who? So, would you shake, 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 senora? If I can make you feel like you used to make you feel, sing you a song, dance you a dance right now, right now. And would you shake, 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 senora? If I can make you feel like you used to make you feel, sing you a song, dance you a dance right now. And we'll bury this old ghost down. So ghosts down, we'll bury these old ghosts down, 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 my darling, down, down, right to the ground.
0: Honestly, Mom, how many times have you already dusted today? Just trying to keep things clean, and you're certainly no help. Clean? More like antiseptic. You're always fussing, but you don't care about yourself. Look at you. You're always in that rag. Really, Kim, what do you expect me to wear around the house? An evening gown? Or maybe one of the minks your father left me? (sighs) Ha! Don't joke about Daddy. No wonder he couldn't stand it here. You could have looked decent once in a while. Instead of worrying about dirt and dust, and greasy build-ups, maybe then you wouldn't have driven Daddy away. And maybe Daddy wouldn't have had to kill himself because he couldn't get it up anymore.